And turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll commence reading in verse 1, Hebrews 12. In verse 1, let's hear the Lord's word. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Amen. God add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Let's seek the Lord together for a word from him. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we call upon thee because thou art the one who has promised to give the help of the Spirit of God whenever he's needed. Thou didst send him into this world to be not only the comforter in our sorrows, but to be the one who comes alongside thy people and helps them in all of their many needs. And God, we confess we need Thee. We need power, spiritual power. We need our eyes opened and our ears opened and our heart opened. And Thou art the only one who can do that. No man can do those things, but Thou canst. And so we pray that Thou wilt still our hearts, gather our wandering thoughts, take any weariness from the mind, the body, the flesh. Give to us, Lord, a holy interest, an awakening interest in thy word this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I want to conclude the message that I began last Lord's Day morning, a message that about 
two looks, about two looks in the Word of God that are vital to the spiritual life of every Christian. That means they're, to get, bring it home, they're vital to your spiritual life. And they're vital to my spiritual life. And I don't use the word vital lightly. It's critical, these two looks. In fact, you, you can't be a Christian unless you have experienced these two looks. That's how vital it actually is. The, the two looks I'm referring to are the Lord looking upon us and our looking upon the Lord. From Judges chapter 6 last week, we looked at that occasion where the Lord looked upon Gideon. He looked upon Gideon when he was in a state of fear and despondency and discouragement and defeat. And by that look, he was transformed into a fearless warrior who delivered Israel from the awful oppression of a nation that was far greater in size and strength than the nation of Israel. And it was all because the Lord looked upon him. We saw that when the scripture speaks of the Lord looking upon his people like this, it is a way the Holy Ghost has of describing the grace, the spiritual power and blessing that God conveys to his people by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means in simple, in simple terms. That power given, that blessing given, that makes such a difference to the Lord's people, particularly when they find themselves in situations where it seems like all is lost. They are defeated, they are discouraged, they are depressed. The Lord looks upon them. Israel viewed her times of spiritual prosperity, and you read this throughout the Old Testament, they looked upon those times as the shining of God's face, as the lifting up of his countenance upon them. When the children of Israel heard that God had raised up Moses to deliver them from their bondage in Egypt, the word of God says, Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. It doesn't mean that God suddenly became aware that they were in affliction. He saw that. He knows all that's going on everywhere in, his universe, in this universe he created. And he knows it simultaneously. But here he looked upon them. He took note of them and it, it, it moved him to do something about it. To visit them. Whenever the Lord has delivered the church... From her seasons of affliction, it has been an occasion where the Lord looked upon her. Whenever a child of God has experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit's power upon his or her life, it has always been a time when the Lord has looked upon that man or that woman. Whenever a believer has wandered away from the Lord, and their heart has grown cold and barren, 
He will testify, she will testify that things did not begin to turn around and they began to walk with God again until he caused his face to shine upon them. That's exactly what God does in revival, only in a much larger degree. He looks upon his church and makes her realize his presence in her midst. And when that takes place, it changes everything. So in light of what we said last week, I trust that you've all been asking the Lord since we last met around his word to look upon you, to look upon your families, to look upon your church here, to look upon the church of Jesus Christ, that she might know once again something of heaven on earth. While this look of the Lord upon his people is foundational to their enjoyment of and the blessing of God in their life, there's another look that is indispensable to a life of holiness, a life of usefulness, a life of happiness that will glorify God. It is to that look that we turn this morning as we consider the first part of verse 2, chapter 12, looking unto Jesus. So we turn now in the study of the thought of the Lord looking upon us to our looking upon the Lord. We want us to consider this text, not, not, not only in its strict context, but in its broader context found throughout Scripture. In its strict context, It's dealing with Christians who are really despondent. They are under severe persecution that you and I can't begin to imagine. You can begin to imagine how dark their skies are. Families being ripped apart. People being martyred for their faith. Christians being put to death because they would not deny Christ. These are hard times. And you can understand why there would be that temptation to return to Judaism where the persecution would end. And so he writes to them of their great need. Looking unto Jesus. My points are three in number and very simple. First thing I want us to consider is the person to whom we are to look. We'll turn from that to look at the practice of looking, what what it actually means to look to Jesus. And thirdly, the power that is obtained by looking to Him. So, first, the person to whom we are to look. Whatever, whatever this looking entails that will have such an impact upon our holiness and our usefulness and our happiness, particularly in difficult times, disparaging times, whatever it is, one thing is certain, Jesus is to be the object of the looking. Jesus. The apostle does not say, looking unto the Father of lights. He does not say, looking unto the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. The one that is to be the grand object of our looking is the Lord Jesus Christ. In no way does this disparage or belittle God the Father or God the Spirit. The simple matter of the fact is that by the appointment of this trinity, 
Jesus Christ is the one who reveals God to men. That is his particular role, to reveal God to men. The only way that a man can ever look upon God the Father is through God the Son. John chapter 1 verse 14, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, Christ. Note carefully what John is saying. No man has ever seen God the Father. No man. Not Moses, not Abraham, none of the apostles, no man. This is exactly what the Lord told Moses when Moses asked him to show him his glory. Exodus 33, verse 20, God said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. There is no man that can look upon the full display of the divine majesty of God. No man can do that. Paul describes God the Father in these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. Little, I say, little do we comprehend the infinite glory the infinite holiness, the infinite power, the infinite greatness of God who dwells in light that is so bright and so pure that even the angels of heaven who have never fallen cover their faces in his presence. And Daniel prayed to God in chapter 9 of his prophecy He said, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. Nehemiah prayed like that. Chapter 1, verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, the dreadful God, the terrible God, And don't think for a moment it's just describing how God was in the Old Testament and things have changed in the New Testament. He's still the same God. He is still terrible. He is still dreadful. It's the same Hebrew word, whether it's Daniel using it or whether it was Nehemiah using it. And that same Hebrew word means fear, awe, reverence. The great and awful God, full of all, the great God who is to be feared. You remember in Revelation chapter 1, when in his vision John saw Christ, what did he do? He fell on his face. He saw the glorified Christ in that vision, and he fell on his face in fear and reverence. They prayed to God as one who is great and terrible because he is to be feared 
in his threatenings and judgments. We are to stand in all of his wrath and vengeance. We are to be reverential as we think about his infinite glory. We cannot, we cannot look upon the face and live. So the angels, even now, are flying round about the throne, flying with a pair of wings, another pair they're covering their face, the other pair their feet, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. You and I can't begin to imagine how separate from sin God actually is and is to be feared. That is why John said that no man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. There's only one man that has ever looked fully upon the face of the Almighty, and that is the God-man, Christ Jesus. The only one. So you see why, uh, when Philip said to Christ, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, Jesus said, he that has seen me hath seen the Father. Christ is the one who dwells in the bosom of the Father. Intimate, full knowledge of God. A closeness that you and I can't begin to understand, can't begin to imagine. And Colossians 2.9, it is Christ that All the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. God became flesh. So we come back to our text and note the name that is used, looking unto Jesus. The New Testament name for the Old Testament name, Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah. The I am that I am is salvation. So let's just pull all that together now. The one to whom we are to be looking as we seek to live a life that is growing in holiness, which is what? Likeness to Christ acting more like him, talking more like him, responding more like Jesus would respond as we seek to live that life of holiness and that growth in holiness, which is, if I may borrow another picture in Scripture to describe that, it is abounding with fruit. It is much fruit because fruitfulness is another word for looking like Christ, And the more you look like Christ, the more you and I act like him, the more beneficial we become to others because that's what fruit is about. Fruit, I'll stop off and embarrass my host. They have a nice orange tree in their backyard. And Olivia told me, you've got to wait till January. That's when it's really the ripest. I was really disappointed because I haven't lived 
I used to live in Orlando. The orange trees everywhere was something you'd enjoy all the time. But here it's January, and I'm going home. And, I'd let, and Herb said, you know, I ate one of those, and it was sweet. And I said, good. And I went out and picked one. Those things are delicious. What was the fruit there for? For the tree? Oh, look at this beautiful orange tree just weighed down with these oranges. And they were navel oranges. Makes it even better. It was for someone else to come along and benefit from it. So you see, the more fruitful we are, the more like Jesus we are, the more our lives become beneficial to others. So this, as we're seeking to pull all of this together, by looking to Christ, that's what we're talking about, Growing in this holiness, it's by that way that we're going to become useful, beneficial, beneficial. Now, salvation at every level comes through the knowledge of God. Every level, whether it be this work of regeneration, of justification, of sanctification, even one day, thank God, of glorification. It is this knowledge of God. To know him is to have eternal life, everlasting. And we cannot know Jesus Christ without looking to him. It's, not, it's just not going to happen. That fruitfulness, that usefulness, that happiness that makes us shine when everything is so bleak. That's what the lost can't understand. How can you be so happy in light of those circumstances? Ah, now there's a time to explain why we can be happy, why we can actually rejoice when things are so bad. What is true of the beginning of our Christian life is true right to the end. It's this look and live, look and live, look and live, really live. The more we look unto Jesus, the more we live unto Jesus. Contrarywise, the less we look unto him, the less we live unto him. They're inextricably joined by the Spirit of God and his word. The serpents that bit the rebellious Israelites in the wilderness, one bite meant certain death unless they looked upon the brazen serpent that Moses had put on the pole. And in John 3, the explanation is that it typified Christ being lifted up on the cross. So it was look and live. That applies to every believer. The way to live is to look. The way to really live the Christian life is to look to Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's the way to live it. Now, we come to our second thought. Because, brothers and sisters, I know what happens so often is the jargon is used in the pulpit. And I've done it myself. Look to Jesus. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like in real time? You can say the words, I just got to look to Jesus. 
Well, what, what does that mean, look to Jesus? So we come to the practice of looking unto Jesus. How do you go about this matter that's so absolutely crucial to living the Christian life to this, to this holiness and this usefulness and, and, this, and this happiness that God intended us to enjoy, to live like? How, how do you do it? Looking unto Jesus means first and foremost that Jesus must be the focal point of your life. He must be the focal point of your life. The the word looking, it's a compound Greek word. They combine the word from and the word look. So it means to look away from. Look away from everything else and fix your sight on one thing. In other words, looking unto Jesus means that on a daily basis, not just in your prayer closet, not just at church on Sunday, not just the prayer meeting, but on a daily basis, Christ Jesus is the focal point of your life. The centerpiece. Paul uses terminology to describe this in his life like this. To me, to live is Christ. As far as I'm concerned, he said, real living is all about Christ. He's my focus. Everything else is subservient to that one thing. That's a big statement. Easy to say. Something else to experience. He said Christ is all in all. He's everything. He said, Christ, who is our life. Christ was obviously the focal point of the apostle's life. A focal point is that which is the center of interest or activity. And the center of interest An activity for any Christian who wants to be able, even in the midst of the worst of times, to be able to separate from sin and not be drawn into it, because so often the fact of the matter is, as it was with these Hebrews, the devil knows right well when we are in affliction and trouble and trials, we become easy prey for the for Satan. They they were becoming targets. You know, go back, back off this Jesus stuff. Go back into the Judaism. You've known it for years. Just get away from it all. And that's the temptation when there are trials and troubles. What's the answer? Looking unto Jesus. What does that mean? If he is the focal point, the centerpiece, what, that he is my life, he is all in all, everything revolves around him. My family, my church, my job, everything revolves around him. That means that positively, 
I look away to Christ as my only hope for salvation from the wrath of God. Because none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. To look to Jesus means that my eyes are focused, when I say that, are focused upon Christ crucified. I must have my focus upon the cross. I must keep my focus throughout my life, throughout the week, throughout the day, upon Christ crucified, the finished work of the Lord. That's the only answer I have to all the charges that Satan would bring against me, that my own conscience it would, it would condemn me for the faults that are always there, the sins that are always there. And brothers and sisters, let me stop off and say, you and I don't begin to see a third or an eighth or a tenth of the sins that are there. But the Lord sees them all. The thoughts, the words, the deeds... The many sins of ignorance, the sins we turn a blind eye to, he sees them all. And I can tell you the only answer to, a, to the adversary, to the accuser of the brethren, because sin just drags us down. Leaves us feeling this distance from God that it goes on long enough that we feel God's cut us off and that we don't really have a close relationship to him. What's the answer to that? It is looking off unto Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, all of them. The price has been paid, every last one of them. Every sin I will ever commit, you will ever, ever commit. No matter how gross it might be, it's been dealt with by the blood of Christ at Calvary. It's done. The debt's been paid. Now, it will cause you trouble, I grant you that, but nothing will take you away from that union you have with Jesus Christ, bought by his blood. And that's what we have to keep our eyes upon. You see, he talks about in that verse 1, the sin which doth so easily beset us. I personally, it's not my view that he's talking about besetting sins. You know, this is my besetting sin, whatever, X, Y, Z. Remember, there are no chapter divisions. It's one long letter. And if I keep the verse in context, I believe he's talking about the sin of unbelief. That was their big problem. It was the sin of unbelief, hence chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He lists all these examples of the Old Testament believers and how they overcame by faith. And let's lay aside, we must set aside that besetting sin. How do we do that? By looking off unto Jesus. So you see, whatever the sin might be, it's got to be dealt with by Christ crucified. There's only one source of peace with God revealed in Scripture. That is Christ crucified. It's the first place you ever found peace when you got saved. The first time you ever experienced peace in your life was when the Lord saved you. And it's still the only way to obtain peace when your heart is like a a sea in the midst of a storm, driven, waves crashing, and everything's falling apart. There's only one place to find peace. That's Christ crucified and you must look to him. Nothing has changed from the day you got saved till now. Nothing. I look away to Christ as my only perfect example to follow. 
I imagine all of us have realized how hard it is to try to regulate our daily lives by mere rules and regulations. Setting down the laws. Making resolutions. How hard it actually is to live your life like that. I think it would cut in two many a Gordian knot and solve many a problem for the Lord's people if we would but cultivate the study of the habit of how Christ walked when he was on the earth. To make that a serious study, how did he actually live? Look at what he said, look at how he responded, look at what he did in all the varying circumstances of life, and praying unto the Lord that he would shape our behavior to be like Jesus' behavior. Jesus' behavior. That's exactly what Paul was saying, Philippians chapter 3, when he said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press, means I strive with all of my energy for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about heaven. Just put it into context, and what he's talking about is perfect likeness to Jesus Christ. He says, I want to be just like him. That's the high calling we all have. It's going to come about one day. I thank the Lord for that. One day I will see him as he is, and I will be like him, and I and you, and I will be blown away, to use modern day jargon. All of a sudden, we're just like him. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about your desire, my desire to be like Christ, to be holy in this world, and to be useful, to be fruitful, to be beneficial, and to be happy? How's it going to come about? It's going to be like Jesus. What do I have to do? I've got to look unto him. He's got to be my focal point of study. I count all things but dung, Paul said. All the awards, the, the, the accolades for being this righteous Pharisee who was blameless before the law. It's just dung to me. This one thing I strive for, that I might know him. I want to be like him. It's humbling when we think how unlike Christ We are so often. What blurred copies we are of the Savior. But there's a reason. We we can become content to copy those around us with all their faults and not look away 
constantly to the only faultless copy. The one perfect man in whom even Satan could find nothing wrong. Thirdly, I look away to Christ as the only one through whom I can be blessed, really blessed. Negatively, that means we look away from anything that would make something or someone else our point of focus. If it distracts me from Christ being the center of my interest and my activity, why in the world I am in this world in the first place, then I must look away from it or I'm going to have to pay the price. He's telling them in all their fears and their discouragement and their despair, these Hebrew believers, telling them quite plainly, you must look away from everything else that's distracting you. You're looking at so much that's only hurting you. Should I do it? You can look at a lot of things in a day. But whatever those things are, if they cause you to look away from Christ, they're going to be detrimental to your spiritual life. Could be a magazine, it could be Something on the internet could be a thousand and one things. But I would say you know that they're not doing anything good for drawing you to Christ. They're actually harming that. They're actually taking your eyes and your focus and your attention because you find out he's not why I'm living anymore. I'm not going to the house of God for him anymore. There's other reasons, but it's not about him. I'm not reading my Bible anymore with the thought of, let me find Christ on every page. Let me, let me hear about Christ and his word. There's a good reason, a very good reason why the church has declined in her holiness of life and her usefulness in the world, her saltiness to stay back, sin, and why she's not shining so brightly in the darkness, why she's not happy. I trace it back to this. There's something else that's got her attention. She's living for something else, living for someone else. Christ not the focus. There's always a price to pay. So when we, we look unto Jesus when we look away from men. Men can't save us. Men cannot sanctify us. Whoever that man will be that will come and fill this pulpit, he can't sanctify you doesn't matter how long he's walked with God or how briefly he's walked with God. doesn't matter how much knowledge he has of the scriptures. He's just a man. Men are not going to be our perfect examples. Right? It's not going to happen. Men are the, not the ones 
through whom the real blessing and joy comes. It's always going to be Christ. You see, it's, it's, not, it's not you. you. You want to be a blessing. and it, 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 it's, it's come upon me in the last several years, I guess. The thing that I have asked the Lord to do, it used to be, Lord, make me a blessing. And I stopped praying like that. I said, Lord, just make Christ in me the blessing to others. Because it's not me that actually imparts the blessing. It's the Lord himself. May Jesus be the one that imparts the blessing. We look unto Jesus when we look away from self. Not what these hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what this toiling flesh hath borne can make my spirit whole. Thy work alone, O Savior, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. I certainly can't look to myself as an example by which I am to live. And I am not the source of true blessing. I must get my eyes off of myself. You must get your eyes off of yourself. Christians can get their eyes upon even the means of grace. The means of seeing Jesus. So that they actually forget it's Jesus they're to look to. They're depending upon the means of grace. And the means of grace are absolutely useless. Useless. If the Spirit of God does not open our eyes... To see Christ. They forget that living the Christian life is not all about looking into God's Word as a mirror to see what's wrong with them. Oh, that's part of it. But ultimately, it's to see what is right. With Christ. Remember that. Yes, we look into the mirrors, James points it out, see what manner of men we are, but that's not where it ends. It's not just to see, well, this is wrong and that's wrong. You don't come to church just to hear sermons about, I got this wrong in my life, I got that wrong in my life. It's to find and see what's right with Christ. That's what we need to see. Too often that's not the emphasis. It's all that's wrong. Well, there's a place for pointing out the wrongs and the faults and the failings and the sins and the worldliness and all that. But if you never get to, here's what's right with Christ. There's a problem. There won't be the transformation. There won't be the holiness. It'll just be rules and regulations. Pastors can make that mistake with churches. Parents can make that mistake with their children. Employers can make that mistake with their employees. It's all rules and regulations. 
But what needs to be seen is not just what's wrong with me, but what's right with Christ. What's perfect with him. All that he is and all that he has done. Now that motivates. That motivates to obedience. The main purpose of prayer is not to become a mighty man or a mighty woman in prayer. It is to hold close communion with God through Jesus Christ who is in the bosom of the Father. Not only must Christ be the focal point of your life, but looking to Jesus means that you are depending on him. It's not just looking to Christ or unto him, away from everything else unto him, in everything, in every circumstance, but looking, focusing upon him for everything. It's in and for everything, depending upon the Lord for all that you will need, particularly when you want to be like him. Because you know right well, you don't have the strength in yourself to do what you believe needs to be done by way of living like Christ. You know you don't. And there's got to be someone else that will empower you to do that. And that one is Jesus Christ. It's the spirit of Christ Jesus that lives in you. And so when I say practicing looking unto Jesus... This is the vital look. It it is by that that we have this confidence that we need. And the devil wants to destroy it. Remember, Remember the apostle told these Hebrews, cast not away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. In the midst of the trial, that's what the temptation was, to give up their confidence in the Lord. Nope, nope, he says, look unto him. He's the focal point. It's all about him. Depend upon him for everything that you need. You want to cast off this sin that besets you? Then what do you do? You go to Jesus. You go to the Lord Jesus Christ and you tell him, you said that you would save your people from their sins and this sin is beating me down. And Lord, I ask you to do what you promised to do for me. Give me power over this sin. Give me power over this temptation. That's looking to Jesus. That's showing confidence in him. That's trust in him for everything. Let alone the temporal needs that we have. In the context of temporal needs, Paul told the Corinthian church, who gave generously to him, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that was in the context of temporal needs. You know, it doesn't really matter what happens to the economy. I mean, I mean, I mean, do you really think that the Lord didn't know there was going to be a recession or inflation or any of this stuff? Well, if you believe that he's sovereign, you believe that was part of his plan, right? Right, right. Yes, yes, yes. It doesn't matter who the president is. Ultimately, 
Is the Lord going to stop providing the needs of his people because there's a ranked liberal Democrat in office? There's a corrupt governor running the state? He doesn't say, I'll just provide your needs when we've got conservatives in politics and the church is flourishing. What nonsense. What nonsense. It's so unbiblical. No, my God will take care of his people. They're his sheep. They're his children. Don't be like the Gentiles, Christ said, who are worried about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and wherewith they'll be clothed. He clothes the lilies of the field. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one. And if he will clothe the lilies of the field like that, do you not think he'll take care of his people? That's what I mean. You look unto Jesus. That means you have confidence in that. You're not afraid. It's a sure expectation. And that is what faith is all about. Confidence. The more faith... We have the more confidence we have in the Lord. How do you get it? Looking unto Jesus. That's what he's telling the Hebrews. Third and final point. I'll be brief. The power that's obtained by looking unto Jesus. The power. So you put this verse into its strict context... As I said, these Hebrew Christians are under severe persecution. They're tempted to give up being Christians and return to Judaism. And the letter has been written to encourage them not to give up, to persevere, and not cast away their confidence. So there's five statements I'm going to make, not expound upon them. But they're simple. The power, the blessing that comes through looking, and it will be yours, it will be mine, as we do so. Looking continually to Christ is the best way to hold steadfast in your Christian life. It's the best way to hold steadfast in your Christian life. Your eyes are upon him. You're following him. You're going to be steady as she goes. Because he will be steady. You'll not be led astray, off track, There'll be a steady walk with the Lord. Doesn't mean you won't fall and fail, but there'll be a steadfastness to your life. You won't be a yo-yo, blowing hot and blowing cold, blowing hot and blowing cold. So many Christians are like that. They blow hot and cold. You don't want that. You want your walk to be steady. Your prayer life to be steady. Your worship to be steady. Your reading of God's word to be steady and not hit and miss. How is that done? Keeping my focus on Christ. Secondly, looking continually to Christ is the best way to overcome fear that arises from walking by sight and not by faith. These Christians were scared to death. I understand it. You don't know when someone will become knocking on your door and dragging away your wife or your spouse or your children because you're Christians. That was going on. That was real. So what does he do to really allay their fear? 
looking off unto Jesus, the originator and the finisher of your faith. That's the sure way to deal with the fear. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms? What are you afraid of? You need not be afraid. What deals with that fear is your focus on Christ. If I look to him, I don't have any reason to be afraid of anyone or anything. Thirdly, looking continually to Christ is the best place of safety when you are standing at wit's end corner. These people were, I say wit's end corner because of that passage in Second Chronicles chapter 20. That was Jehosh- Jehoshaphat's time against the great horde of Moabites and Ammonites. We have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. But our eyes or upon thee. He was at wit's end corner. We don't know what to do. But they were looking to the Lord. Fourthly, looking continually to Christ is the best way to die to selfishness. Self is still there within us all. Self wants the attention, self wants the priority, me, 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 that everything is about me and my wants and my needs. I will tell you the sure remedy to that problem is looking to Jesus. You then forget about self. It brings about death to self and self-importance because now your focus is upon him and it's all about him and not about you. Finally, looking continually to Christ is the best way to become like him. Why? It works like this. We become what we behold. We become what we look at continually. That's your focus. It'll change you. It's a vital look. Both of them are needful. May the Lord move us to pray for both looks. For his own namesake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for our time in the house of the Lord around this text of scripture. Spirit of God, we pray that thou wilt preach on to our souls. May we not forget what we've heard, but take it home to our prayer closets and pray over it and read the word of God with this in mind to look off unto thy son. My, what blessings will be ours if we will but do that by thy grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his glory, amen and amen. Mm-hmm.